Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Thursdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. Go buy my book. Uh, it is going to be out in about 10 days on August the 8th. Cannot wait for the book to officially be out. No show tomorrow. No show scheduled all next week. I am headed down to Atlanta with my kids. Uh, we're going to go watch a bunch of Atlanta Braves games. Then I'm headed to East Tennessee, uh, and uh, I'll be on the radio Monday and Tuesday. Then I'm taking Wednesday and Thursday and Friday off, uh, but I will be in Atlanta going to a bunch of Atlanta Braves games with my boys. I cannot wait. That is where I will be, uh, starting with tomorrow's game against the Brewers. So uh, so I'll be out of, uh, out of pocket, out of uh, the home studio here. Go buy the book, American Playbook. Going to be in every bookstore in America. Uh, starting on August the 8th. You can go buy it on Amazon. You can go buy it at barnesandnoble.com, any online book retailer, and they will have this shipped to you on the day that it releases, which is August 8th. So uh, I cannot wait for all of you to be able to check this out. Now, as I am speaking to you, it appears that there are certainly going to be charges brought against Donald Trump in Washington, D.C., uh, for a bevy of uh, trumped-up allegations uh, that will then add New York City, Washington, D.C., South Florida, soon to be, I think there will be charges in Atlanta as well, four different jurisdictions bringing criminal charges against Donald Trump, the goal to keep him in, uh, in basically courtrooms throughout much of 2024. And, you know, I was thinking about this analogy, and I made it on the program, uh, the Clay and Buck show, but I haven't made it on this. Uh, you guys know that I believe all of these charges are illegitimate. Um, and certainly the degree to which the Department of Justice is simultaneously protecting Hunter Biden from the consequences of all of his behavior while, while also trying to prosecute Donald Trump to the fullest extent of the law is pretty unbelievable. Okay. Uh, in, uh, in that respect. I mean, it is just absolutely crazy to even contemplate, to even think about. But uh, as we break down what's going on here, don't miss, don't miss what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep Donald Trump in a courtroom March, April, May, June. That's the New York City and then the South Florida charges, maybe into July, and then they'll try to, le uh, to layer on charges in Washington, D.C., and then they'll also try to put charges in there in Atlanta. They basically want Trump to be in a courtroom for the entirety of 2024, standing trial to try to avoid being put in prison. And uh, this is radical. I don't know how Merrick Garland sleeps at night, but I was trying to think of an analogy where I could contemplate someone facing imprisonment while having a serious job that they were otherwise engaged in. And so, to me, the only thing that stood out that made any sense at all 
Do you guys remember Kobe? I believe it was in 2003. Kobe Bryant was standing trial for rape in Eagle, Colorado. That's, I believe, outside of Vail. Kobe Bryant would stand trial for rape, the hearings that were associated with that, would then get on a private plane and fly to Los Angeles where the Lakers were playing and play in games that night. And a lot of you out there, if you're young, you may not even remember that this was going on, so I need to repeat it. Kobe Bryant charged in a criminal court with rape He would attend the court hearings in the morning and during the day, and when they ended in that evening, in that afternoon, he would immediately get on a private plane, fly to Los Angeles, sometimes join the Lakers to play in games after those games had already started. This is crazy. It was 20 years ago. A lot of people don't remember this occurring at the time. But that is what was actually taking place. Kobe Bryant, Donald Trump, we could have a scenario. We could have a scenario where Trump is standing trial all day for criminal allegations, and then he gets on a plane and flies to go campaign for president of the United States in the evening. I think certainly there will be cases where Trump is standing trial on a Friday, and then he gets on an airplane and travels to go have a big rally, a big event in the evening after standing trial in the day. This is wild. And the only comparison I can think of, and certainly if you can think of others, email, DM me. Uh, I don't. My mentions are such a zoo now. I can barely see mentions, but. If you think of a uh, if you think of a comparative analogy, the best one I can actually draw in a somewhat modern era is Kobe standing trial for rape and then taking a private plane to go plot play for uh, Lakers games later in the evening. Now I don't think that would ever be able to happen today, but that is representative of what happened. Some of you out there are like, "There's no way this happened." Look it up. Kobe would stand trial for rape in the early part of the day and then take the court and play for the Lakers in the evening. It's kind of what Trump might be doing as he's standing charges going forward, uh, facing charges going forward. All right, several other things. Uh, credit to Jim Jordan and his weaponization of, uh, of, of, of basically social media, the investigation that they are doing, uh, because he shared a bunch of stories from Facebook. Facebook was clearly... At the behest of the Biden administration, censoring statements that they did not like that were being made. Uh, This is pretty crazy and pretty wild to think about. I've been telling you that it was going on for a long time, and this is important because it's a clear First Amendment violation. General rule for all of you out there didn't go to law school. The government cannot give to a third party the ability to do something that the government itself would not be able to do under our Constitution. And that's exactly what was happening here. In other words, your federal government can't come out by and large and say, oh, Clay Travis can't say that on Facebook. He can't say that on Twitter. He can't say that on Instagram. That would be a violation of the First Amendment because the government's not allowed to restrict the political opinions that I can share. Most of you understand that. Similarly, however... 
The government cannot go to Facebook and deputize Facebook, essentially, to do the work that the government itself could not do. And that is quite clear what it appears was occurring during the COVID era and with this entire concept of misinformation. The government was making a decision that they didn't like certain posts that were going up, for instance, pointing out that the COVID shot was mostly worthless and that young people didn't need it and that it was a vast overreach to require everyone in America to get the COVID shot in order to be able to work, which, remember, is what the Biden administration tried to do. And so the Biden administration was going to Twitter. They were going to Facebook. But these are the reports coming out directly associated with Facebook. And they were engaging in the most aggressive attempt to suppress your opinion, my opinion, the marketplace of ideas in America, the First Amendment, in my life. Never before do I, can I recall your federal government, my federal government, trying to restrict what could and could not be said in this country. And that even includes a current OutKick employee, Tommy Laren, who was named in uh, this report as one of the people that the Biden administration wanted to censor her opinions on the COVID shot. This is unbelievable revelations. If we had an honest media, if the New York Times still did their job, if the Washington Post still did their job, democracy dies in darkness, says the Washington Post, all the news that's fit to print, says the New York Times, this is jaw-dropping. The degree to which, however, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post have come to believe and support and defend your federal government's ability to restrict what you and I share on social media accounts, what we say and put into the marketplace of ideas, it's never occurred in any of our lives. And certainly not about any of our lives if you're around my age. Maybe if you're 90, you've experienced something like this before. I certainly have not. And the New York Times and the Washington Post, far from defending the First Amendment and the marketplace of ideas and free speech itself, is actually cheerleading the Biden administration's attempt to censor the opinions of citizens it didn't like. Um, And this is, by the way, going on. There now is evidence emerging as well, which I was reading about yesterday, that all of these top scientific experts who tried to delegitimize the COVID lab leak theory, all of them were behaving in a way that is suggestive that they were totally lying to the New York Times COVID writers, that they knew what they were attempting to get the New York Times to write wasn't true, but that they were still doing it anyway. And you might have heard me talk about this on Clay and Buck with Buck, but As a part of this, also, as you contemplate it, if the New York Times actually cared about the truth, back in the day, Jason Blair was a reporter who basically made up all sorts of different stories that weren't true. And the New York Times said, okay, we're not going to stand for this. We're going to conduct an investigation. We're going to examine whether or not this is permissible. We're going to stand up for truth. And they don't do that today. They haven't conducted an investigation into their own reporting. They've never apologized for all the lies associated with Russia collusion. And that is because I believe the New York Times and the Washington Post have basically become default fan sites. They are like uh, the rivals or 24-7 or 
uh, on three individual team fan sites. They don't exist to actually break news. They don't exist to actually uh, get out there and conduct actual journalism. They are propaganda machines of the Democrat Party. They should be ashamed of it. Uh, I saw this story, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt has been hired as former Tennessee football coach Jeremy Pruitt, who now faces a multi-year show cause over cheating allegations at Tennessee, has been hired as a PE teacher in an Alabama high school. Now, I'm not going to take shots at anybody for the job that they choose to pursue. Jeremy Pruitt in past years was a kindergarten teacher in an elementary school before he rose to become a head football coach at Tennessee and and a very successful uh, defensive coordinator at Georgia, Florida State, and Alabama. I mean, this guy had a great deal of success at a minimum as a defensive coordinator, and the wheels really didn't fully come off at Tennessee for him. He recruited decently, maybe by bending the rules, uh, but he won 11 games. He had a disastrous COVID year. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Uh, But my point on this in general is uh, Jeremy Pruitt um, going to coach, not even coach, going to teach P.E. at an Alabama high school is got to be a super humbling experience. He's gone from making millions of dollars a year to coach a major college football program to the next job he takes is he's a PE teacher in an Alabama high school. And again, I don't begrudge anybody who does a job. I know there are a lot of people out there working in jobs. You may have had to take uh, a job that is lower than the job that you had before. I've had this happen in my career. Uh, I, I do think it is somewhat instructive about being willing to be humble. Uh, I went from being... Uh, an editor at Deadspin, making six figures a year, which to me at that time was a lot of money, to making $25,000 a year writing at Fan House full-time, working as hard as I possibly could for twenty-five dollars a year. I took a 75% salary reduction uh, and then, you know, eventually 
went from 100 to 25 back to being very wealthy today. So I'm not someone who says you should always just follow the dollars, right? Look at the trajectory of where you are now, where you want to go, uh, and how that might fit in. And sometimes it means taking a step back and making less. I left the practice of law to write about SEC football. I probably am the only person in the history of the United States to take a step from, hey, I'm a practicing attorney, to I'm going to leave practicing law to write a book about why SEC football matters. I don't think in, there's 330 million people in America. There's like, you know, probably a couple million lawyers out there. Never in the history of the legal profession has anyone left the practice of law to write a book about Southeastern Conference football. No one has ever made that choice. I left a very lucrative practice of law job to take a risk to bet on myself that I could write a really good book about SEC football. And I did it, and it's panned out, and it worked out very well for me. So I would say in general, a lot of people think, oh, I can only go up. Sometimes you have to make a lateral move. Sometimes you even have to go backwards in order to get to where you might want to go. But I do think this is a pretty unprecedented move to go from the head football coach of the University of Tennessee to being a PE teacher. And frankly, a lot of people wouldn't do it because the fact that they were going to get made fun of for doing it. So I'm not going to make fun of Jeremy Pruitt about this at all. I actually think all labor has value. If he thinks that this is the pathway to allow him to be more fulfilled in life, for him to be more happy, more power to him. But I actually think it's a little bit instructive because a lot of people out there don't make career choices because they're afraid of how people are going to react to them. Again, let me repeat that because I think it's really important and it's an important life lesson. A lot of people out there don't make the career choices that they would prefer because they're afraid of how other people are going to react to the career choices that they make. And if you allow fear to govern the choices that you make in life, I think you end up unhappy and you end up sitting on social media with anonymous accounts, uh, constantly taking shots at people who are more successful than you are because there's a bitterness that ensues. If you haven't had the success that you hoped, then you end up in a situation where you're incredibly bitter. And I, I always say this too, very rarely is a critic more successful than the person that they criticize. Think about it. Criticism doesn't typically come top down, it comes bottom up. So very rarely, it does happen, that sometimes people are more successful than other people and they get obsessed with them. But by and large, that doesn't happen very often. Criticism mostly comes bottom up. Very rarely are you criticized by someone more successful than you. Just think about it. It's worth keeping in the back of your mind. So a lot of people are going to rip Jeremy Pruitt. You probably will go on social media and it will be a feeding frenzy making fun of his new job. Uh, but let's say he does that for two or three years. Let's say the show cause expires. He goes back to being a defensive coordinator. Probably going to make a lot of money being a defensive coordinator. Jeremy Pruitt is far more successful than almost everyone that is making fun of Jeremy Pruitt on social media. And he's willing to do a job, willing to do a job that a lot of people wouldn't because 
he's afraid of he's not afraid of what people are going to say about him doing it. I just put that out there uh, because I do think it's significant. Uh, news, uh, also college football news. Colorado is leaving the Big 12, uh, and they are going to the Big 12. So Colorado leaving the Pac-12, uh, a conference that they moved into several years ago. They now are going to join uh, the Big 12, a conference that they were in for decades. What do we think about this? Is it a good move or a bad move for Colorado? I've always said, I said the same thing back when Colorado went to the Pac-12. Really, the question is, do you see yourself and your brand as one that is connected to the West Coast or as one that is connected to the middle part of the country? Uh, Because the Big 12, to their credit, has somehow ended up more stable than the Pac-12 has. And I think partly that's a function of leadership. Now, USC and UCLA start playing the Big 10 next year. Colorado is going to leave for the Big 12, reportedly. I think the announcement is officially coming down in an afternoon uh, decision uh, going on later today. The question is, what happens to the Pac-12 now? So Colorado has left. If I were ranking the remaining Pac-12 schools, and remember we're down to nine, I believe, right now, in terms of their options going forward, I would say that Oregon-Washington is Tier 1. Okay, the nine remaining uh, schools, Oregon and Washington is tier one. And Oregon and Washington are going to beg to come and join the Big Ten. They would like to be there with SC and UCLA. They may be so desperate to go to the Big Ten that they would take substantially less money to be there. Okay, so Oregon and Washington tier one. In the second tier, I would put, I'm not ranking them in any particular order, I would put Arizona, Utah, and then I'm kind of fascinated by what Cal and Stanford represent. Are Cal and Stanford actually committed to playing football forever? I I don't know that they are. So Cal and Stanford is in an interesting spot to me next to Arizona and Utah in sort of that tier two. And then in Tier 3, I would put Arizona State, I would put Washington State, and I would put uh, and I would put Oregon State. And people say, okay, what do you mean by that? Why would you put those three schools in Tier, uh, in tier 3? The reason why I would put them in Tier 3 is Arizona and Washington and Oregon are not such big states that you necessarily want to have two schools from each of those states in your conference. Not to say that you can't, but just that if you had to choose, most people would take Arizona, let's say, over Arizona State, Washington over Washington State, and Oregon over Oregon State. The brand of Oregon, Washington, and Arizona is bigger than the brand of Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona State. And then you've got sort of Cal and Stanford out there in the second tier. So the question that is that is worth contemplating now is what happens with the Pac-12? Does the Pac-12 say, okay, let's get back to 10. Let's go grab San Diego State. Let's go grab a Boise State. Let's think about making that move. Or are they now so wobbly 
that Oregon and Washington are like, we can't rely on being in this conference anymore. We're out. And what I would say, leave aside money for a moment. What I would say for purposes of being able to make the playoff, I actually don't know if Oregon and Washington benefit by leaving. Okay? If your goal is to make the playoff, wouldn't Oregon or Washington stand a really good chance in a newly reformatted Pac-10 of winning that conference every year? Oregon's got the Phil Knight money. Washington has got the connection where they are in Seattle. They're a big brand. I almost purely from a can-we-make-the-playoff perspective, remember there are those guaranteed playoff spots for conference champions. As long as the Pac-12 has a guaranteed spot, I would even make this argument for Colorado. I think it's going to be harder for Colorado to win the Big 12 than it might be for Colorado to win the Pac-12. Maybe I'm wrong. With Texas and Oklahoma gone from the Big 12, that conference is severely uh, declined. Maybe Oregon and Washington look around and they say, hey, in if they had an opportunity in the Big 12, they think that that's a better option. Maybe they think the entire Pac-12 is going to implode, they're going to lose that playoff spot, and there's not going to be anything left in the Pac-12 conference, and so they need to get out, whether it's the Big 10 or the Big 12, while they can. All of this is going to be fascinating to see. And ultimately what it comes down to is everybody is as faithful to the conference as their options are. Remember when Chris Rock said that men are as faithful as their options? So that was a really funny line as part of one of his comedy specials and that the better options you have, the less likely you are to be faithful uh, in a relationship. I think that rule is certainly true for college conferences because everybody's looking around and they're like, okay, where's my better option? Do Oregon and Washington have better options? Who's going to follow uh, Colorado? And, hey, by the way, do Arizona, Utah, and Arizona State, maybe they're in that second-tier option. Do they say, let's jump while we can. We want to go to the Big 12 and we want to go with Colorado. What are Cal and Stanford thinking? What do Washington State and Oregon State think? Do politicians get involved? Remember, when Texas A&M went to the SEC, the state of Texas got very involved, politicians did, in trying to protect Texas. Now that Texas is going to the uh, SEC, no real political movement. Oklahoma leaving behind Oklahoma State no monster political movement tried to stop that from happening. Just tossing it out there in the state of Arizona. Do the Arizona State Sun Devil fan base, does this become a political issue? Does Washington State have the political capital? Oregon State have the political capital to try to restrict Oregon and Washington from being able to move elsewhere? I bring that up because you remember USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten was a big story in the state of California, and there was a lot of discussion about whether Cal, Stanford, and other California schools might be able to stop that from happening. So, I love conference realignment. Those of you who've been watching, reading, listening to me for a long time will recall that I launched OutKick in 2011, right in time for Missouri and Texas A&M and Colorado 
and Utah and Nebraska and all of these different Rutgers moving parts when we saw a seismic realignment in college athletics. Maybe, possibly, this is the new move. And if you remember, Larry Scott was trying to protect the Pac-12's future by going out and trying to get Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, if I remember correctly, about a decade ago, more than a decade ago now, to all leave the Big 12 and join uh, the uh, and join the Pac-12, and that's when Missouri left and Texas A&M left, and you had all these different moving parts, Colorado. It seemed like the Big 12 was close to dead. Now the Pac-12 is close to dead. To what extent can they rescue the existing Pac-12? And a big part of this is the television deal. They can't seem to get the final Pac-12 television deal across the finish line, and as a result, teams are looking around, colleges are looking around, and saying, "I want to be—I don't want to be one left behind when musical chair stops playing." So that is going on. Uh, I love this story. Obviously, as you can tell, I love conference realignment. I've almost finished quarterback the series on Netflix that follows Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins. I love it. I've been watching it with my kids. My kids love it. Uh, My wife has been watching it with us. It is a really fun watch. Even if you aren't a diehard football fan, to see the work that Mahomes, Mariota, and Cousins put in in order to be successful on the football field. I think it uh, teaches a lot of things. The importance of working hard, the importance of a uh, really being tough, uh, the importance of both not only physical toughness but mental toughness. I like the lessons that it's imparting to our kids of the meritocracy. The harder you work, the more success you have, which is, I believe, a general truth. Uh, And as you watch this show, I also think, man, Kirk Cousins, what a nerd. The X, the tenors thing, throw the X up for the tenors, the old video footage of him. I actually think Kirk Cousins emerges as the most likable, and I don't think Mariota and Mahomes are unlikable. I think they're both unlikable, are both very likable. I think everybody seems uh, to come off well in this documentary. I don't think you would watch it and like somebody less than you did before, but man, Kirk Cousins is the star of this series. So funny, the shirt that he wears, uh, the, uh, the all of the work that he'll do to try to get every edge that he can, playing hurt, uh, but I love this show, and I would encourage anybody out there that's looking for a family show. People always say, okay, what age is appropriate? There's cursing, right? Uh, there, The players curse on the field. Uh, Patrick Mahomes... Primarily, I think, uh, is the cursor. That's pretty much it. Other than Patrick Mahomes cursing, there isn't any, you know, I would say it's probably PG-13. I also don't think it really will surprise you that athletes would curse on the football field. Uh, But that's the only thing. I mean, I guess if you have like a five or six-year-old, you might be concerned about that if you're concerned about language. Otherwise, I think this is an all-ages show. And if you've got a family member, you got a wife, maybe you got a husband, they're not football fans, I think it makes football accessible 
even it does a good job of appealing even to people that would otherwise not be football fans uh, that they could uh, enjoy this. So I would encourage you to check that out. Last night, we went 1-1-1 one, one, and one in our gambling picks. Uh, the U.S. tied. Remember, I was close to saying I'm going to bet on the tie. Uh, we went, uh, we won on Canada. We won on, uh, sorry, what do we look? We won on Portugal. We lost on Nigeria. Australia, the home team, went down 3-2. Big upset to Nigeria. So we are now sitting at 16-4-3 and three on our gambling picks so far, if I'm doing my math right. 16 wins, four losses, three pushes, which if you want to count those as a loss, you can. 16-4-3. Uh, uh, so here are the games that are coming up. I already picked Argentina against South Africa. So that game is tonight. I'm on Argentina. Uh, I'm going to say... England and Denmark, I am going to say, is a draw. And then I am, man, China, Haiti. You talk about a tough one to pick when it comes to the Women's World Cup. China and Haiti. Man, what do we do on China and Haiti? Women are not doing very well in either of those countries. Uh, I'm going to take, man. Is it crazy to think that the people in Haiti have more freedom, women, than the than the people in China do? I'm going to call push. All right, I'm going to go push again. I, I, I don't think anybody out there is like, man, you know where I really want to live? Haiti. You know where I really want to live? China. So I'm going to go Argentina tonight. Then I'm going to go England, Denmark, push. China, Haiti, unprecedented push. We got a lot of tough ones here. Sweden and Italy. Which one is which one has more human rights? You know what? I'm gonna go push. Triple pushes, unprecedented triple pushes uh, on Sweden and Italy. It's getting harder on the women's world cup to pick a winner when you have basically even uh human rights. France, Brazil, I'm gonna go France. Uh Panama, Jamaica. Man, they're they're it's like they're trying to punk me here in terms of the difficulties. I'm going to go push on Panama, Jamaica. I don't think there's that much difference in women's rights in Panama and Jamaica. So I got a lot of pushes here. South Korea, Morocco, I'm going to take South Korea. I'm going to go ahead and finish all the group stage picks uh, through the weekend. Uh, Norway, Philippines, I'm on Norway. Switzerland, New Zealand, going to go push. Germany over Colombia. That's a lot of picks. I will tweet them out. Those are my Women World Cup picks. And then we get into Monday, and I'll give you picks on Sunday for like the final uh, final week of, uh, of picks, all right? Uh, finally, I saw this, and I just thought, my goodness, this is incredibly desperate. Um, and I believe I tweeted this out. This is from Variety. Tonight, ESPN will test a sports center with an all-female anchor team and nearly all-female crew and production staff. Part of a bid to court new ad dollars to sports content that hasn't always attracted it. Why would people spend more money when you just decide we're only going to have women 
work on a sports network broadcast. See, this is what I believe is a function of ESPN giving itself over to woke identity politics. Some people say, and I I talked about this with Stephen A. Smith on his podcast, and I wrote about it in the book. Say, how do you define woke? What is woke? And to me, being woke is deciding what your opinion is on an issue based entirely on identity politics and saying your race or your gender or your sexuality is more important when it comes to a story than your actual opinion or your actual talent. And this happens all the time now in sports, right? You believe whoever is higher on the oppression Olympics than you do who's more likely to be telling the truth. And this is giving over all of ESPN to identity politics. They're not saying, hey, we are picking the most talented people in all of ESPN for these jobs, and they happen to be women. Instead, they're saying, we're doing a broadcast, and we're only doing it with women, and we want you to pay more money to us because we're doing a women's-only broadcast. Why? Why does it matter who's doing the broadcast? And why is it, if the people are better and they're men, why not just have the men do it? This feels desperate, and it's like ESPN is is doing everything they can to, to attempt to grab relevance, when the reality is most people just want the most talent. I mean, all that sports is defined by is, The best man or the best woman wins. Putting on sports and defining it entirely by the identity of the people who do it represents a full fruition of identity politics, which is the antithesis of sports. Because sports doesn't, we don't care. And I'll use as an example. I believe every man on the men's Olympic basketball team is black. In the United States. That means there are 12 players, they're black. All of them. Well, if all I cared about was identity politics, that's not a very representative reflection of American life. It is the case that the meritocracy dictates that all 12 players would be black. But it is not the case that that reflects who actually plays basketball in America. And if you wanted the men's basketball team to perfectly reflect the overall uh, makeup of America, you'd have to fire a bunch of black dudes. You'd have to fire a bunch of black guys and replace them with white, Asian, and Hispanic men who were not as good as the black guys. Well, that's the antithesis of competition, and it's the antithesis of the meritocracy. But it's a full triumph of identity politics and of diversity and inclusion. So this is ESPN giving itself over to the antithesis of sports itself, to the antithesis of the meritocracy, and elevating people based entirely on their identity and not their talent, which represents everything, in my opinion, that is wrong with American life today. I believe in the meritocracy, best man, best woman. 
gay, straight, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whoever it might be, that is who should triumph in America. All right, love all of you. No show tomorrow. I'm headed down to Atlanta. Cannot wait to get there. Be able to watch a bunch of Braves games with my kids. Uh, Hope you'll continue to support OutKick. Uh, Go buy the book. It's going to be out soon. This has been OutKick Show.